0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. Help me. I can't concentrate. I don't know what's wrong. I can't keep up. Help.
1: Somebody. The pirates. Please. Somebody. Just how serious is his condition? It's his nerves, controlling his voluntary muscles and motor coordination. They're deteriorating, just like all the others. Others? Yes. The computer council has ordered that a definitive statement to the general public not be made just yet. But so far here in New Chicago, 25,000 cases have been reported.
2: When did all this start?
1: Three days ago, when you and Buck were gone. And another thing, this disease or whatever it is, has cropped up in other cities on Earth. But here in New Chicago, it's much, much worse. I can't
3: concentrate. You think it's happening purposely? That.
1: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, November 10th, 2022. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world
4: and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right.
1: Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be It was in the shadow of all the reactions to the Atlantic's call for some kind of COVID amnesty that Robert's discussion with our guest, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, took place, and which was released this past Monday, November 7th, on Just Right's various video channels. And it is against the backdrop of social media reactions to this amnesty that today's edit of that conversation will be presented remarkably the mainstream narrative is being forced to go through a profound change thanks primarily to the fact that well they're no longer able to maintain their lies in the wake of all the revelations and admissions that they've been lying this is the first of two broadcasts featuring our discussion with dr hodkinson the second being focused on the broader discussion of healthcare and medicine in general from socialized medicine to the colleges of physicians and surgeons. But today, we're focused on two basic themes. First, there's the sheer enormity of the crimes against humanity that the COVID vaccine mandates are, and whether or not such crimes should be forgiven or forgotten. And second, there's the politics of moving rightward, both internationally and via the Alberta Prosperity Project in Dr. Hodkinson's home province of Alberta. It all begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links and archived broadcasts. As always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And to do that, to support our efforts, simply visit our site's homepage and click on the PayPal option or click on the support button forth from the left at the top of the page, where you can also find details of how to contribute by check, money order, or even by e-transfer directly to feedback at justrightmedia.org.
4: Robert? We're honored to be joined today by Dr. Roger Hodkinson, pathologist in Edmonton, Alberta. And I wonder if I could start, Dr. Hodkinson, by asking you to please give um, our listeners and our viewers a brief introduction to yourself and your credentials.
2: Sure. Briefly, I came to Canada in 1970 when it was once a fine country. <laughs> I'm a graduate of Cambridge University. I did my medical speciality training in Vancouver, British Columbia. Since then, I've held a number of positions. I've been an assistant professor at the university, done a lot of teaching. I've been the president of the Provincial Association of Pathologists. I've been the chairman of the Royal College Examination Committee in Pathology, a laboratory inspector. I've run big labs in Canada and the States, and I'm currently the chairman of an American biotechnology company out of North Carolina doing some very exciting, transformative, disruptive stuff in dna sequencing of which i know a fair amount
4: and up to this date i understand that you have been pretty much left alone by the um, organizations and government bodies that um, regulate pathologists except uh, recently you 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 told me that you have been sacked or dismissed from the american pathologist uh, society is that correct
2: um, well, no. the The attacks started uh, a couple of years ago from the local College of so called College of Physicians and Surgeons, and that that's still ongoing. I still have my permit, as they call it. It used to be called a license. We're no better than a plumber now, yeah. to be controlled at whim. But the College of American Pathologists, of which I was a fellow for forty odd years, never putting a foot wrong, uh, they decided to get rid of me because, of course, I was spreading misinformation and uh, that would not be tolerated, Uh, so they they canned me, which was water off a duck's back. It's a letter that I will frame.
4: Yes, a badge of honour. Indeed. Now, the information that the public has gained over these last three years, rounding up, I understand that during the first three months, I myself was a little... Curious, I didn't know what was going on, and we all started to do our own research about not only the origin of the virus and uh, the symptoms of the virus, and we all saw the videos of these Chinese actors falling over to instill fear in the world, and though that never happened anywhere else in the world. And so we started to question and this uh, all of this. The first vaccines, so-called, came out in January, February of 21, And people started to do the research, look into the details provided by the big pharma about mRNA gene therapy. And what I'm getting to is that at least the layman, the layman like myself, I understood the dangers of all of this. You had many doctors coming out and warning people not to jump into this lightly because it's going to destroy your um, immune system. It's going to lead to many complications. We don't know what we're doing yet. This has yet to be tested. So with that bit of preamble, can we say then that the colleges of physicians and surgeons throughout the country, if not the world, the politicians who coerce people into getting the um, injection, and everybody involved with the coercion um, about surrounding all of COVID with the lockdowns and the injections are these people? Then can we say that they had foreknowledge of what they were doing, so that they should be held liable for the response uh, for the responses of all their actions?
2: Absolutely, ignorance of what's going on is no defence, because it, it's it's been obvious for posi- people that were pulling the levers of power, uh, they were expected to know the data, the literature, mm. the international events that were taking place. They are culpable. They're up to their necks in it. And, uh, of course, after Nuremberg, seven of them swung. Um, the consequences this time around are infinitely greater, um they are so culpable. It, it's, it's disgusting to me how medicine has been so compliant in going along with the flow. And medicine itself is, is unfortunately one of the biggest um, conspirators here, not just the colleges, but individual physicians who've actually looked in the eyes of a pregnant woman and told her that this experimental stuff is safe. That's the kind of thing that you used to lose your license for.
4: Right. so it's not just ignorance. These people knew or ought to have known about the effects.
2: Quite, quite. The the, the body of evidence now is absolutely overwhelming.
4: Shall we forgive and forget? You must be familiar.
2: Absolutely not. I'm full of vengeance. I'm full of vengeance. Tot- I am vengeful. It, it's not a time to say I'm sorry. It's a time to put these bastards in jail. I would Look, agree. Yeah. We we have we have seen the biggest kill. I'm calling it the big kill. We've seen the biggest kill ever in medicine's history, directly because of the intervention of these idiots into healthcare. And it's the physicians, it's not just the politicians, it's the physicians themselves who are principally culpable because they have allowed government's jackboots to influence how they manage their patients, which has never, ever happened before.
4: No, maybe no time.
2: harm. First, do no harm and inform consent. The physicians have, have looked in, how can you do this? How can you look into the eyes of a pregnant woman and tell her that this experimental product is safe? How can you do that as a, as a physician? No, anyone, any physician that has done that should be in jail. So no amnesty. No amnesty, absolutely not. It would mean justice is denied. Pe- uh, look, people have been killed. Okay, today I'm gonna be looking at
0: an article that was published yesterday in The Atlantic, and it is called, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. Emily Oster wrote this, and she says, we need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were in the dark about COVID. And of course, (laughs) she doesn't really mean that the COVID crazy side needs to apologize. She means that we all need to share the blame and then just forget it and move on. That even the people who were right about masking, the PCR test, lockdowns, vaccines, alternative treatments, we need to admit that we were just right by accident. And uh, we need to take our, our part in this as well. And we just, you know, we can't dwell on the past. We don't want to get into a doom loop, she says, and just go over all the mistakes. Just forget it. Let's let's just go on with our lives. This article is astounding. And I got to tell you, on Twitter, she got a ridiculous ratio. I captured this early yesterday. So you can see people did not like this article. It's not very long, so I'm going to go through it and give my comments as we go. Let's start at the beginning. She talks about going on a hike in April, 2020 with her family and how they wore their cloth masks that she made herself. She says that one time when another child got too close to her four-year-old son, he yelled social distancing. So you can see Emily was terrorizing her children and teaching them to become little authoritarians (laughs) at that point. But now she says, now she realizes that these precautions were totally misguided that outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare and that cloth masks made out of old bandanas wouldn't give us, wouldn't do anything anyway. But she says, the thing is, we We didn't know. We didn't know. This is going to be one of the main go-to's for the former COVID crazies who would have thrown the unvaccinated into camps and kept them and and left them outside of stores to starve to death. That's their go-to move here. We didn't know, so you have to forgive us. Look, the things that she says she didn't know, that masks didn't work, that the PCR tests aren't fit for purpose, never have been, that lockdown was harming children, that social distancing, especially outdoors was absolutely pointless. Um, that the vaccines were gonna be dangerous no matter what because they were warp speeding them and they came out without enough time to do mid or long-term safety data. They just skipped certain parts of the normal safety testing anyway, like the animal trials. A lot of this stuff was known very early on. Here is something from Denis Rancourt in Canada that was published in April 2020. So, exactly the same time as Emily here was taking her little authoritarian family for cloth mask covered hikes, this was out. And it was widely cited, in the alternative spheres of course, ignored by the mainstream. And Denis references seven studies that range from 2009 to 2020, demonstrating how masks do not work to stop the spread of respiratory virus. It's very well sourced and explained. But did did Emily seek that out at all at that time? Obviously not. And did the mainstream publish it? No. And Did anybody reply to Denis when he sent it around to get attention of uh, public health officials and government officials? Obviously not. And as someone on Twitter pointed out, Jennifer Van Laar posts, What about accepting natural immunity? Emily, Emily, do you think that the public health officials just were bumbling through doing the best they could and they didn't know when they purposefully changed the definition of natural immunity in the middle of this thing? Or when they changed the definition of vaccine in the middle of this thing? Was that just stuff they didn't know? We didn't know. That's purposeful. Look at what Emily says next. Now she's going to talk about the vaccines. When the vaccines came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative efficacies of Johnson and Johnson versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. Which one was better? We didn't know. Are you kidding, Emily? That's the extent of the questions we all had about the vaccines, really? So Emily may be being um, used, to float some narratives out there and see how the public responds. Because if they can contain it to, well, listen, the vaccines are all fine. We just didn't know which one was best. If they can contain the debate to that, that'd be a huge win for them, but we can't let them do that. And I know you won't. And then she goes on, obviously some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Remember when the public health community had to spend a lot of time and resources urging Americans not to inject themselves with bleach? No, first of all, no. I remember some fleeting thing about bleach, but I, but nobody that I ever heard suggested that. And if the public health agencies went off on a tangent about it, That's insane. That's their own doing. She says that was bad. Misinformation was and remains a huge problem, but most errors were made by people who were working in earnest for the good of society. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Again, it won't be any of the doctors and virologists and epidemiologists that were censored. She doesn't consider them Maybe anybody that was in my video just now, for example, or Byron Bridle, or Stephanie Seneff, or... I mean, there's hundreds. I can't list them all. Um, probably not them. They probably weren't working in earnest for the good. Uh, but anyone supporting the vaccine, supporting masking, supporting lockdown, supporting social distancing, supporting isolation in nursing homes, they were just trying to do the best for everybody, says Emily.
4: Now let's get into that. Um, You were on Laura Lynn Tyler-Thompson talking about the Peter Halligan Substack article, which extrapolated on the VIRS data based on unreported statistics, um, the factor of 40 to 1. Could you expand on that on this uh, program as well, please?
2: Sure. All, All Peter Halligan did was use existing government statistics globally and was multiplying the deaths allegedly due to COVID by the multiplier of 41 which was the best estimate of underreporting that was Jessica Rose a Canadian researcher in Israel who first went public with that calculation of the likely likely underreporting number i mean everyone was talking about it any being anywhere between 10% and 100% Jessica derived this figure of a, a 41 multiple so if you take existing COVID vaccine-related deaths, and multiply it by 41 internationally, because remember, this stuff's gone into billions of people. Mm. If you do that, you end up with an estimate that there have been, globally, there have been 20 million vaccine-clot shot-related deaths, and 2 billion... Two billion adverse reactions. Now, an adverse reaction. People should realise is not just a sore arm. An adverse reaction in the in the context of that equation means a very serious, life threatening event, such as a heart attack, a stroke, or a pulmonary embolus. Things that will stop you from earning a living, things that will stop you from driving, etc., etc. So that's the scale with which. Peter Halligan uh, revealed the consequences of the clot shot. So, people must understand that that estimate, as extreme as it might appear, is based upon existing government statistics and simply multiplied by what is a reasonable assessment of the underreporting. It is, however, current. It will grow. And what it does not recognize These are vaccine, clot shot, gene therapy related deaths. What it does not recognize are all the other deaths and interventions that have caused death. The the lockdowns, the suicides, the one disease healthcare system for a period of three years resulting in people not accessing healthcare for early diagnosis of cancer, etc., does not recognize the deaths directly due to interventions such as ventilators, remdesivir, midazolam, doesn't recognize stillbirths, doesn't recognize that the likely increased prevalence to a degree that we're unsure of right now of cancer and fatal infections because of immunosuppression. That number of 20 million deaths is understated. And and on top of that, on top of all of that, you have Geert van der Bosch's prediction of the consequences of immunosuppression over the next little while, certainly this fall, and over the next period of time, unspecified. Um, When you add all this up, it's the most grotesque, avoidable carnage in human history. It starts to approach the 40 million that Mayo killed in the Great Leap, what I call the Great Leap backwards. It starts to get into that kind of scale of magnitude. And so I believe that when investigative journalists start getting that out, and not just that analysis, but but other analyses too, of uh, the, the effect on the economy and so on. When, when the scale of these interventions start percolating through into the minds of people who've been lied to and swallowed the narrative for three years, I believe it's going to create a scale of revulsion that we're totally unprepared for. There'll be a demand for vengeance, and there will it will feed into the creation of more political parties, such as we're seeing emerging in Alberta, mm. for taking back control of government and you know, reinvigorating wonder, democracy in, in its traditional form. And, and as we're know. seeing happen to a certain extent in Europe, you know, Sweden and and, and Italy, for example, um, there there is there is signs of movement out there. But I think it will that that movement will be massively encouraged when the carnage is quantified in more lay terms, little booklets, bullet format. Um, I don't think we're quite prepared, Robert, for the scale of revulsion against how the population has been manipulated and lied to.
4: I can only hope so, Dr. Hodkinson, but I'm reminded of uh, the time... Uh, decades ago now when some miscreant put poison in a Tylenol bottle and it made the news worldwide and then ever since then we have these caps that the elderly can't open because you have that push and turn and all that and and the, the, the paper lining in it to prevent this one death. I think it was one person who died or I'm reminded of the fact that in other vaccines, you may have gotten 35 to 55 people die as a consequence of the vaccination. So what do they do? They pull the vaccination. Here we have um, an estimate of 20 million people dead because of this jab, and people are still lining up to get it. You are an optimist, I think, to suggest that we're going to be re- in revolt. I'm more inclined to think of Matthias Desmond as correct, that the, there is a mass hypnosis or a mass formation going on where no matter what evidence you put in front of people, they have, they're not gonna change their mind. They're gonna line up like the sheep that they are and die for their for their cause, for their mass formation. I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm half full, maybe you're a glass half, uh, maybe I'm a glass half empty, maybe you're a glass half full, I don't know.
2: No, it's gonna be so bloody obvious to have that quantified externally because it will corroborate the individual experience of people, just about everyone now, given the scale of what's going on, just about everyone now knows, just like you indicated earlier on, just about everyone knows of someone in their immediate acquaintance who has either died or had a serious adverse event, heart attack, stroke, pulmonary embolus, it's common knowledge. Everyone knows from their own personal experience, and they've got no way of confirming how, how global this is. But when they start being told that, look, you're not alone here, it's common what, you, what you've what you been experiencing. That's going to overwhelm any concern about mass psychosis. I, 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 no, I, I've, got a, I've got a bigger faith in humanity than that. I think the obvious is going to be so screaming that the, the, the consequence of, of that was, is absolutely unavoidable. There's going to be a mass revulsion, and how that translates into political action, I, I, I can't predict. I'm certainly not advocating violence here, but it's unpredictable what's going to happen when the scale of this becomes known. I don't, I don't think for one second people are going to swallow it and be in, continue to be intimidated, that's, the, that's not human nature. When it gets to a certain scale, there's going to be revulsion.
0: And finally, at the end, she says, the standard saying is that those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. But dwelling on the mistakes of history can lead to a repetitive doom loop as well. Let's acknowledge that we made complicated choices in the face of deep uncertainty, and then try to work together to build back and move forward. Oh, my God. She almost said build back better. All this we, we, we. You know, I'm sure it was I, I, I when she thought she was completely right. But now that she realizes she was completely wrong, it's we. We need to heal. We need to acknowledge we made mistakes. This is so typical of a predatory class of people with narcissistic personality disorder sociopathy or psychopathy. And it's been on massive display for the last two and a half years. And it's not just the Anthony Fauci's, but he's a prime example, or Justin Trudeau, prime example. Uh, It's the regular people too. You know, I would like my relative that told me that I could starve to, to just sigh one day in a pausing conversation and say, I'm really sorry. That was an awful thing to say. That's it. That would do it for me. But I know this person very well. And I know it's very Emily-like. Let's never talk about it again. <laughs> but you know, the truth is, if we just keep burying this stuff without examination, without Hashing it through and and picking it apart, there, the chances that it'll happen again, are a hundred percent.
3: So what
5: does this tech do? Can it upgrade my light beam? Well, according to the notes, it gives holograms the ability to manipulate light in all its forms. What the hell does that mean? I'm not exactly sure. I suggest we take the tech back to Starbug and conduct further
3: tests before we embark on an untested pathway. I'm not waiting while you conduct your Namby-Pamby European Space Agency safety tests with me having to go before a committee of meddling, gray-suited bureau droids and answer multiple choice questions on where I'm most likely to find a croissant. (laughs) I'll take my chances now, thank you so much. Sir, this is technology
5: we're unfamiliar with. We need more time to evaluate if it's safe. Crichton,
3: I want the upgrade now, and that's an order. Deactivate.
5: What happened? As you know, uh, we chose not to carry out European Space Agency safety checks. As a consequence, the power surge has fried your battery.
3: Why on earth did we do the transfer without carrying out the proper safety tests? Well, because you ordered me not to, sir. Yes, but why did you listen to me? You know I often don't know what I'm talking about, and when I don't, it's your job to say something. I did try, sir. Clearly not hard enough. You are on report. (laughs) Crichton. 2X4B, offence, listening to
1: me. (laughs) You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Our conversation with Dr. Roger Hodkinson continues. Talking about COVID-0,
4: I know that... The uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand was pushing for COVID zero, in other words, getting rid of COVID um, or the SARS-CoV-2 virus forever throughout the world, and you will never hear of it again. Even as a layperson, although I do have some medical knowledge, even as a layperson, I know that a virus that is cross-species, you cannot get rid of it. And especially a coronavirus, like as you say, mutates and mutates and mutates. Um. So, on the face of it, we have this person, this politician, a tyrannical woman, saying that we're going to lock down the the nation of New Zealand until we have COVID-0. And on the other hand, we have this wealth of knowledge saying that what, what she's trying to achieve is absolutely impossible. How can we reconcile those two things?
2: Well, she's a colossal twerp. She's got nothing between the ears. She's got this um, sinister smile, uh, looking like she's enjoying the control that she's exerting. She knows absolutely dick. And of course, um, there's still, even in New Zealand, the ballot box, let's hope they get rid of her. I mean, there is the start, I think, of an international movement to the right. Uh, We have Sweden, we have Italy as examples. Those give hope. Um, We have Musk, of course. um, with Twitter, we've got the potential of the Republicans taking control of the House, at least, if not the Senate. There are there are certainly elements of hope out there. Um, and here in Alberta, um, we can't influence anything that's going on internationally. That's fatuous, including Ottawa. We're not even thinking of trying to do that. Um, we've got our eye firmly on the ball of making Alberta a an independent republic. We believe that's very doable within the next three years. Now, and the culture. For, for, fortunately, we have a premier who's not declared herself in that regard very, very clearly, but is open to that um, persuasion. Daniel Smith, um, hmm. still a honeymoon period, but um, it bodes well so far that... Uh, you know she is moving in the right direction.
4: No, I understand, I mean I, I've worked in Alberta for several months myself, I got a, a bit of a flavor of the culture out there and I would definitely say that the culture of Alberta um, is different than the culture of eastern Canada, especially um, Ontario Quebec, especially Atlantic provinces, though there are pockets of similar cultures out here. Um, I had a friend who suggested that if Alberta separates, that it's going to be useless because what we need is not a political solution to all of the things that led up to this. Um, these last three years. We need a cultural paradigm shift, which is not in Canadian um, history uh, and is certainly not in the cards in the future because it requires generational change. Would you agree that, well, first of all, is Alberta culture um, malleable enough so that people will not be voting in a Rachel Notley or the NDP and would support uh, an independence movement? And secondly, do you agree with the, um, the, the the situation that or the position that a political solution is only temporary if you don't have a cultural solution?
2: Well, yeah. Um... I think the, the, the two go hand in hand. The reason we want to be independent is to maintain a culture that we used to have based upon family, religion, freedom, uh, risk taking, avoidance of the nanny stake at all costs. Uh, that's that's part of the history of of the West and certainly of Alberta. So it wouldn't be a matter of changing or recapturing anything, it's, it's there right now. Um, no, there's there's great confidence in the doability of this. Learning a, taking a leaf out of the Quebec book, of course. Um, the the wonderful thing that happened because of Quebec losing, was the Supreme Court essentially drafting the Clarity Act, which gives the roadmap for the boxes, if you like, that you have to tick off, in order to be independent. Thank you very much, Quebec. Um, we intend to to strike in our own in our own fashion here. Um The essence of the, of the strategy is to so drive information out there about the consequences of, of um, the oppressive actions of, of Ottawa into the gen- mind of the general population, as well as, as well as the monstrosity of COVID, uh, to drive that into the support of a referendum with a million plus signatures, that would be presented to Ottawa with a ribbon around it, non-negotiable, we want everything. We're not satisfied with a few crumbs thrown our way. The intent of the referendum would be designed for it to fail with Ottawa, so that we could then declare an independent republic. There will be a stealth attack on that with the Sovereignty Act that uh, Premier Smith has proposed. Which the essence of the Sovereignty Act is basically to take control within existing constitutional rights, as it, as has happened in Quebec, to take control of the police, pensions, tax collection, health care, et cetera, et cetera. There may well be an attempt to introduce private health care in, in, in Alberta. So that will smooth the way into independence. It won't be falling off a cliff with the need to to um, create all this, this change, the, the change would have largely happened uh, ahead of the Declaration of Independence. How that would work out in terms of who gets what, it remains to be seen. But the, the, what I say to people who, like me, when I was on the deck in Ottawa, during the truckers' convoy and freedom protest, I was a flag-waving patriot. But no more, no more. I will never stand up and sing the national anthem ever again. And for those people that were are like me six months ago, who were still, who are still patriotic, I say this. Look, Alberta is not proposing leaving Canada. Canada has already left Alberta. That should be abundantly obvious to everyone. The divorce has happened, it's a matter of dividing up the assets. Let's get on with it.
4: Of course, the um, Clarity Act does mention the fact that there is no legal way for a province to secede or to separate without a constitutional amendment, which would require 7 out of 10 and 50% plus 1 across the nation to allow a province to secede. Do you see that as a stumbling block or is that just paper?
2: They can try that one, but we're going to declare independence. If we don't get what we want, you can stuff it.
4: I love the attitude. It's great. It's a Greek George Washington attitude. Um, you sort of got ahead of me with your political solutions, but I was hoping to keep that near the end, though I uh, that that is my passion too, of course, is politics and philosophy and politics. So I, I, I appreciate it. So there was an absolutely
5: unbelievable article in the Atlantic magazine the other day. Odds are pretty good you've probably already heard about it. The piece is by Emily Oster and it's titled, quote, Let's Have a Pandemic Amnesty. Quote, getting COVID policies right had a hefty element of luck. And similarly, getting something wrong wasn't a moral failing. Treating pandemic choices as a scorecard on which some people racked up more points than others is preventing us from moving forward. We have to put these fights aside and declare a pandemic amnesty. Amnesty. She continues, quote, we can leave out the willful purveyors of actual misinformation while forgiving the hard calls that people had no choice but to make with imperfect knowledge. Los Angeles County closed its beaches in summer of 2020. Ex post facto, this makes no more sense than my family's masked hiking trips, but we need to learn from our mistakes and then let them go. Unquote. So a few things here. First No, this wasn't about luck. It was about who believed in freedom and individual choice and who was a petty tyrant or a hysteric, period. The people who understood that we had to live with COVID were obviously correct from the very beginning. The people who thought COVID justified closing every business in America and arresting people who went outside were wrong. And they were evil. Secondly, Oster doesn't even mean what she's saying at all. She says she wants a, quote, amnesty, but then, shocker, purveyors of misinformation are excluded. In other words, the people that she dislikes the most should still be punished. Only people like her get the amnesty. And really, this isn't an actual request for amnesty at all. Oster isn't begging for mercy. This is really just an announcement. It's announcing that Oster and her ilk are declaring a unilateral amnesty for themselves And if you protest against this, then you're allied with Nazis and the alt-right. This isn't asking for amnesty. It's ordering you to sit down and shut up. And telling you that from now on, complaining about the crime of lockdowns and school closures and murderous vax mandates won't be tolerated. Give them all the power back right now. Well, we're not playing along. We will never forget what they have done. They psychologically abused, tortured children with literally suffocating mask mandates. Teacher unions shut down schools. Governors and public health officials trapped our elderly in nursing home death traps. Liberals collecting a guaranteed government paycheck shut down struggling businesses forever, deliberately. They kept ruining businesses and lives for months, even a year after it was 100% obvious that none of it was necessary or helpful. I'm sorry, Ulster is right about one thing. She and her friends do need amnesty, but we should never give them one.
3: Menshevik mouthpiece, The Atlantic, published an op-ed just a week ago that insisted, as if it hadn't been loudly suggested by the previous president and his supporters for over a year, that lengthy school closures were a failed policy, and as if they hadn't called him a dangerous fascist for so much as proposing it. And it's also The Atlantic that made more waves than Boogie's waterbed this week when they suggested unironically that we declare a mutual pandemic amnesty. Quote. We need to forgive one another for what we did and said when we were all in the dark about COVID. On the face of it, the eternal optimist might take this to mean that we wipe the injuries on either end of the ledger clean and move forward wiser and as one. In practice, what emerges is an unremitting tempest of sophistry and rationalization inexpertly camouflaged as conciliatory claptrap. Are there affronts on both sides? (laughs) Sure, the laws of probability being what they are, I'll just go ahead and assume that there are. But only one side of the societal schism passed mandates to disemploy any and all who refused to comply with edicts they now admit were functionally useless. Only one side shuttered California's entire beachfront for interminable months, rounding up and arresting all who violated the spurious directive. Only one side persecuted congregations for convening regular church services, sometimes under penalty of imprisonment, while taking cringeworthy care to craft a public statement via the CDC, abjuring the self-same directives for racial rioters effectively underwriting the summer of love festivities that killed 19 people in just 14 days or as it's known in Chicago a slow weekend only one side prescribed remote funerals only one side barred relatives from attending the death of a beloved grandparent spouse or even child and it was only one side that refused to even entertain the suggestion that the Wuhan lab leak was responsible for the pandemic despite credible health officials strongly suggesting otherwise nearly all of whom were penalized by having their social media accounts forcibly closed. And it's only one side who now quietly acknowledged the truth of the lab leak theory in Congress just this past month with only conservative news outlets even bothering to report that fact. You weren't in the dark. You were wearing blinders. And you had anyone who attempted to remove them deplatformed or arrested quit lying. And yes, I'm aware these are not perfectly unique observations. But first off... This is YouTube. You're subscribed to a hundred channels that offer nothing but observations that are not unique. Why piss on me? And second, the purpose of this video isn't to offer some manner of earth shattering insider existential treatise it's not to marshal an army or helm a social movement my reason for making this video is simple to remind you of what they did the lockdowns mandates and assorted ass hattery would have been impossible if implemented only by the opposition it was trump himself who initiated same albeit with a fair amount of buyer's remorse within weeks of enacting it and if trump intends to run for a second and final term in 2024 it's a lesson. he must demonstrate he's learned, or I, for one, will happily pull the lever for Paul, DeSantis, or a grilled cheese sandwich before I allow a well-meaning moron to grease the despotic slip and slide so the true tyrants can inherit and exploit it as Biden inarguably has. Because if we don't... Then just as before, when we move on, when we forget, when false premise piles upon false premise, then the very fabric of reality is permitted to be indicted, not by objective fact or observable reality, but by narrative as misportrayed by mainstream media. Which brings us to why we're here, seated beside the smoldering rubble of the post-coofpocalypse, where a thousand false narratives congealed into one incendiary uber-falsehood that in enabled our entire political and media class to attack, arrest, or otherwise unperson anyone at all who dared be instructed by their own eyes, ears, and discernment. And now the trust the science crowd are feeling a little less trusting of the science, now that Fauci and the Funky Bunch are adding more asterisks than Barry Bonds' stat sheet, and you suddenly want to bury the hatchet, oh, sweet cherubic summer child, we won't be forgetting, and we're well beyond forgiveness. We won't forget losing gainful employment at the altar of authoritarian mandates we warned you about passing. We won't forget beloved local businesses being bulldozed by alarmist collectivism. We won't forget bidding farewell to the ones we love over the intimacy of Skype. We won't forget funerals convened behind a plastic divider if we were allowed to attend at all, only for Gammy to be fired into the earth in a pneumatic Tube like a paycheck in a drive through bank teller. We will not allow you to recast it as Trump's lockdowns when you demanded he do worse, and did, once your shambling shit heel was installed into office. Trump shoulders his share of the blame for a fact, but his culpability and the status monstrosity we're presently enduring is a teardrop on the face of the an ocean next to what you've allowed to occur we do not accept your apology we are not talking terms my response is as pithy and permissive as the one you shot at us over the preceding two years get and go to jail though not necessarily in that order i'm razor fist don't forget don't forgive and god fucking speed
4: paul alexander i believe if, if i'm not mistaken you appeared with him at the freedom convoy um as well giving a presentation and you all he was also a an advisor in some capacity to the Trump administration, correct?
2: Quite. Well, right. Paul, Paul Paul was right in the middle of it. Yeah. Paul saw the manipulation of Trump by Burks and Fauci, and um, I mean, people people must understand how this whole thing happened. First of all, disclosure: I'm a big time Trumper, big time savior of society. Was he wrong on everything to do with COVID? Absolutely. That doesn't undermine the fact that is a man who, who delivered on what he said he was going to do, and he did it brilliantly. And let's hope he. Glad gets, to hear it. Glad to hear. Let's it. hope he gets back in in 24. But here's the point: you had, you had two powerful men looking for glory. You had a businessman presented with an international problem, that that Fauci said he could solve at warp speed. Fauci was the failed little man who'd never achieved glory of his own, failed HIV vaccine. He was looking for glory at the end of his career, and he thought he could could somehow succeed in that objective by this untested vaccine, gene therapy. He pitched it to Trump, as the panacea. So you had a failed little man with all the money in the world to control research, pitching to a politician who was also a narcissist, who wanted his own glory. It was a marriage made in heaven. So Trump swallowed it, hook, line and sinker. What, he, what Trump didn't know was how experimental this was, how untested it was. Fauci knew that in spades, but he did it anyway because he wanted glory, and look Mm. at the consequences. Billions of people now exposed to massive long-term sequelae, not the least of which, Robert, is the, the, the discovery of reverse transcription of the mRNA into, permanently, into DNA, and potentially transgenerational. That's the scale with which these idiots have been messing around with the future of the human race. Trump didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Now, we've been we've been trying to use back channels to get to him, to smarten him up, to say, listen, you know, for God's sake, don't get any more boosters on television. You know, you've got to come out and nail Fauci right there in real time and say, this is the man who made me do it. I'm a businessman. He lied to me. I am so terribly sorry for what's happened and the scale of carnage that's, that's been a consequence. I do hope you'll forgive me. That's that's PR 101. Fess up contritely. The message has come back, sadly. I'm not going to do that. Hmm. Now that could be, could be his death knell in 24. Because the Democrats showed their Machiavellian efficiency at uh, playing COVID for their advantage. He lost the last election because of COVID, because of absentee ballots, all dressed up as we can't allow people to vote in person because it's too dangerous for their lives. Bullshit. They did that because they knew they could milk the ballots and they did it with incredible efficiency. He lost the last election directly because of COVID. He could lose the next one because of COVID, because the Democrats will lay it all at his feet. Between now and the next, and and 24, there will be um, quantification by investigative journalists of the scale of carnage, which is only going to get worse as time goes on. And that will be laid directly at his feet trying to ignore all the other horrible things that the Democrats have done. It's a very dangerous time for Trump and for the world because if Trump goes down, we all go down.
4: Let's finish off on a positive note, if we could. And I understand you're involved in um, the Alberta Prosperity Project. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, the route mapped for independence in Alberta uh, is being um, articulated by a society, not a political party, called the Alberta Prosperity Project. It's being led by a CEO, uh, Dr. Dennis Modre, a retired cardiovascular surgeon of some repute, um, who's had a deep um, history in provincial politics, personal friends with Ralph Klein and, and Jason Kenny, Kennedy uh, Kenny, for example. Um, the roadmap map is, is this, um, the society is trying to educate the population at large as to the gravity of what's happened over the last few years with COVID, as well as the reality of control of the provincial economy by Ottawa its devastating impact on the energy industry and farming, etc. And the intent of that educational process is to drive people into the realization that negotiating with Ottawa to improve things is fatuous. It's been tried and failed repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And to encourage them to sign on to a referendum, we're hoping to get a million plus signatures on a referendum that would define the issues that we would demand a Premier present to Ottawa as a condition of staying in Confederation. The demands would be so designed that they are unachievable. And indeed, given the the way in which the Supreme Court is stacked against um, any decision that might be in in Alberta's favor. the demands are guaranteed to fail, but they has to be tried and documented as having right. failed um, as per the Clarity Act. So with a significant number of people in favor of independence um, and a failed approach to, to with Ottawa to negotiate um, what we want, then that will open up the opportunity to declare an independent republic. Um, and become the happiest freest most prosperous place on earth and what a wonderful story that is how intoxicating it is to think that something that started on the tarmac in a place called atchison in alberta with the truckers i was there when the convoy started that international movement that um unfrocking of what governments have been doing um how wonderful it would be to see the end result coming full circle the truckers started it in alberta and for alberta to be a beacon for the rest of the world as to how to redefine democracy what an incredible story that is and i i am so privileged to be part of it i'm i think it's it's the most important time in my career in my entire life and if we can see that happen. I will be flapping my flippers.
4: (laughs) Well, I wish you the best with that, and I thank you very much for joining me on our channel today to discuss these horrific events that are
2: going on in the world. Thank
4: you, Dr. Hodgkinson.
2: It's my pleasure, Robert. Thank you.
1: That wraps up part one of our conversation with Dr. Roger Hodgkinson with part two yet to broadcast. Of course, you can view the entire interview right now on Just Right's video channels, all accessible through our website. In closing, on the issue of Trump's culpability on the COVID front, I'm personally still inclined to suggest that in the end Trump may prove to have nothing to apologize for. We were well aware of Trump's refusal to make an apology over the vaccines and addressed that very issue back on shows number 741 and 774, January 13th and September 1st, respectively. At that time, I basically argued that outside of this single exception, Trump has pretty much been on the right side of the COVID issue since the beginning and has never once called for mandatory measures to be taken in any regard. So whatever his reasons... Trump's attitude, persistence, and I should add, transparency on this point, suggest that something else is in play. Perhaps a strategy he is as yet not prepared to share publicly. Now, I could be totally wrong, of course, and we'll see what happens following the eventual fallout from this past Tuesday's midterms. I'm sure we'll have a lot to say about that in the weeks ahead. And you know, there's also a rule in politics that says if you want to maintain control you never apologize. And that goes double if you're not responsible for what you're being asked to apologize for. And speaking of apologies avoided, if all of this talk about pleading for some kind of COVID amnesty demonstrates anything, it's that since the very beginning of the pandemic, our own analysis has been just right all along, as it will be again when you join us next week on our continuing journey in the right direction. And until then... Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into
3: black and white. Under the clothes, everything will be alright.
2: So that's it. So what's what? Conspiring to endanger the health and safety of an entire community. Well, there are laws on this subject, I'm happy to say.
3: Now, just one cotton-picking minute, Brennan. There is nothing wrong with me. I just have sunburn. that's all, yes. I was lying under a ladder, and I got striped (laughs) sunburned. That's
2: pathetic. Well, I didn't take a second major in pathology for nothing when I
5: was at Yale. I know what's wrong with you.
3: You do? Yes.
2: What? You have a particularly rare, contagious form of tropicanus maladitis rareitis. This is Lieutenant Brennan. Get me an emergency ambulance from City Hospital.
3: Ambulance? Could he be right?
5: Tim, the Bremens in this world are never wrong,
2: even when they aren't right.